it's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. From the Fox News Radio Studios in Midtown Manhattan, it's the fastest growing radio talk show. Brian Kilmeade. Hope you had a great weekend, everyone. I know if if you're in the Northeast, Saturday was hellacious and Sunday was like spring. Uh, Who's going to get sick in that weather? Nobody. Uh, We're going to speak to Miles Yu in a matter of moments, Hudson Institute fellow, former China policy advisor to Secretary of State Mike Pompeo. And then at the bottom of the hour, we're going to talk to John Eisenberg. Uh, John is an acclaimed sports writer, bestselling author of 10 books, including his This Is Likely to Be the Same Thing, Rocket Man, the black quarterbacks who revolutionized pro football. We got two starting in the Super Bowl, which we'll be covering, and that'll begin. The coverage will begin on Friday. We'll be traveling on Thursday. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. These numbers really stand out to me, right? Six in ten Americans say they would be disappointed or even angry if he wins again. That is more than the just 56% that have a negative response to Trump winning. So the president has to make a compelling argument. And that was a reporter for ABC. 2024, the obstacles remain for Joe Biden to win another four years. Headwinds are coming from the left as GOPers are more comfortable than ever being critical of Donald Trump. Who, by the way, beats Biden by four the latest poll. Plus, I'll tell you about the changes to the Democratic primary schedule. Number two. Do you want him to run again? I mean, you saw our poll. A large number of Democrats say they don't want him to run again. He is an absolutely historically successful president, and I want to see that continue. Even with terrible polls. State of our union. A day before the address, what the numbers say and what you think and feel are diametrically opposed. We will look at the numbers and explore why. Number one. Letting a Chinese surveillance balloon lazily drift over America is like seeing a robber on your front porch and inviting him in, showing him where you keep your safe, where you keep your guns, where your children sleep at night, and then politely asking him to leave. Yeah, what a joke. Mike Gallagher weighing in. Blowback on blowing up the China balloon. What they are up to and why did the Pentagon wait until Saturday to blow it up? Why does the administration evoke Trump every time they get in trouble saying inexplicably this happened three times under Trump? And when the Trump people say, no, it didn't, they said, well, it happened. We just didn't tell you. I'm not kidding. That's their explanation. Miles, you joins us now from the Hudson Institute. Miles, great to uh, great to hear from you again. First off on China's response. Here it is. Instead of apologizing. They say the U.S. used force to attack our civilian unmanned airship, which is an obvious overreaction. We expressed solemn protests against this move by the U.S. side. The Chinese side has repeatedly informed the U.S. side after verification that the airship is for civilian use and entered the U.S. due to a force majeure. It was a complete accident. Do you buy that explanation? And what about their belligerence in response? No, I mean, that's a ridiculous uh, uh, response. I mean, it's like a crime boss and a robber in civilian clothes, a robber house. And the police responded, uh, and then the crime boss will say, how dare you use a uniform force to deal with a civilian? 
I mean, this is just absolutely uh, uh, ridiculous. This is a Chinese sort of typical Chinese response. Uh, they uh, they would never admit anything that could be wrong, uh, that's done wrong. And uh, so I think in this case, actually, the result probably is a little bit unexpected. I mean, it's backfire. I mean, this is this is part of the Chinese design. They always do this before any major summit. They always create some kind of a low intensity confrontation, so that. Uh, the summit will, will take place and it look good, and, and then there was, uh, and then we'll not end up talking about real substance issue rather than the newly created small crisis. They did this uh, every time, you know, they, they used to uh, arrest Chinese dissidents, so forced Americans to address that issue uh, uh, just before the comment. Uh, but they're the not comment. even having the meeting. I mean, that's five miles, but the meeting's called off. The meeting is called off because you know uh, uh, there's no no way the meeting could proceed when the um, uh, when the truth is exposed to the American public. So it will make Biden and Trump look foolish. So if they didn't cancel that, right? Sure so so in other words, a bad a bad move on their part. Uh, they unless they well, never wanted the summit to begin with, or the military is acting against the administration against against President Xi. Well, I don't think that's the case. I think this is the, the Chinese system is so. Uh, uh, so uh, controlled, uh, the top down. So there's no way issue like uh, incidents like this involving dealing with a major uh, country of a severe consequence uh, without the highest uh, order from the highest level. So I don't buy the idea there is some kind of rogue bureaucrat uh, doing something uh, contravailing uh, to the um, the intent of right. Xi Jinping. There's no way. So let me just, uh, in case everyone was uh, away this weekend, on the 21st, China launches this balloon. On the 28th, it goes into the Lucia Islands right by Alaska. Then it goes off the coast, all the way down the Canadian uh, coast into Montana. On Wednesday, it becomes visible to the Montana residents, including one man who looked up and called a buddy who's a, who's a, uh, a photojournalist. He said, take a picture of this. I don't know what it is. And when he takes a picture, sends it to NORAD, NORAD says, we're crafting a statement. My sense is, Miles, they would have not told us anything. They would have had this summit anyway had we not had civilians like you and I not heard about this ahead of time putting pressure on us. Do you think that that would have happened? They would have loved just to ignore this? I think so. I think, you know, the, the, uh, the, 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 the would not have happened. I mean, uh we, we, uh, I think you know the the, uh, the Pentagon came out of saying Thursday, and uh, but this uh, this fact was known to the American authorities like days before, um, and uh, 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 we should have shut it down the moment it, it entered the American uh, sovereign airspace in Alaska. Um, so that's a that's a no question asked. Uh, this is basically not only a matter of sovereignty. This is the uh, the operational espionage device and conducting a surveillance uh, operation uh, is it should be should be stopped at the, at the at the the moment it was detected i mean they stole our f-35 15 years ago uh so they now now have a stealth air force that we created that they just mirrored they've stolen personal data uh with a huge hack in 2015 and we know through TikTok to getting personal data on a regular basis until we slowly but surely shut it off here. I want to hear, in terms of you saying it should have been shut down earlier, you're not the only one. I think most people are saying it. And Leon Panetta, the former Secretary of Defense for President Obama, Chief of Staff for President Clinton, said this, cut nine. And I'm not sure that we should have allowed it 
uh, to simply cross over the country, uh, cross over uh, what were obviously sensitive military sites. I, I, don't, I don't see the logic of that. So the, so the question, obviously, is uh, the Pentagon said that there were risks here. I understand that argument, uh, that uh, there were debris risks. Uh, at the same time, uh, I think we should have acted earlier uh, if our suspicions were valid that this was, in fact, on an intelligence mission. So that's the Secretary of Defense from a Democratic administration say, why did we wait? And, well, uh, and, and you've got to wonder, too, is this, uh, is this China one of their goals to create a divide? Because they know this would be debated on both sides? Actually, you know, uh, um, I don't know what China uh, divide and conquer you know, to, to, to find division in America has always been the primary uh, uh, modus operandi of Chinese propaganda, United Front work in the United States. There's no question about that. However, on this issue, I think, you know, this is a public uh, relations disaster for the Biden administration. So they try to make this a partisan issue. Well, in fact, the reaction uh, to the, uh, the public PR uh, disaster has been unanimous. Um, you mentioned about uh, Leon Panetta. I mean, that's a big, heavy uh, uh, sort of Democrat uh, 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 person. I mean, saying that, I mean, this is all bipartisan. I don't know anybody who's, who, who have the guts to defend the delay of shooting down. And I think the only thing that, the, you know, the, the, the Democrats come up with is that, uh, listen, this happened during the Trump administration, which is basically not true. So this is a really, really uh, sort of a partisan. The, the President Biden have a report card coming up tomorrow. So he has to show this is just a partisan instead of a, a, its own incompetence. And so Miles Yu, he's our guest right now, former China policy advisor to Mike Pompeo, Secretary of State. So... In, I don't understand when you go over Montana, it is so sparsely populated to Wyoming, so sparsely populated to South Dakota. I understand you want to be careful, but to say I don't want to shoot it down over land, someone could get hurt. Here is the senator from Montana recommending they shoot it down over Montana. Cut 16. They could have shot that balloon down and the biggest risk might have been hitting a cow, a prairie dog or an antelope. So don't say the military told the president. I don't want to do that. Don't do it. And we'll do it when it gets over water, saying it's going to get over water. I mean, they could have, they were, they were in control of this. They could have kept it on land. And then what would happen? And um, listen, just go ahead. Listen, they're, they're, this, this is what shut down uh, over the uh, 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 water of South Carolina, six miles offshore. Off now, I can guarantee you there were more watercraft, more people there in the water than the people in Montana and North <laughs> Dakota. So, so this 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 kind of argument doesn't wash. Uh, what, what I think there there is kind of a dubious uh, uh, good effect on this. That is, I mentioned this was uh, uh, sort of a, a one of the uh, low intensity confrontation uh, with the big stake between the two superpowers. In the old days, we had an name for it. We called it the Cold War. Now there have been uh, for those of us who were in the China business, there's no question. Cold War II has been going on for years and years. But for a lot of Americans, they are still in doubt. And this incident, the balloon incident, is a very tangible, physical right. reminder 
the war is going on, and there's no question about that. I think this is much, much more educational than many others. I hope so. Uh, I, and people I just hate looking it. weak, so, Miles. I hate looking weak as a country. We pour all this money into defense to get the most sophisticated equipment, and we allow it to be stolen, and then we allow us to be probed constantly. And they said, oh, yeah, that happened three times during the Trump years, but we never told the White House. Who, by the, right. What I, are they talking about? I think, you know, the major American ethos is always that we start out um, as the sucker. You know, uh, we are beaten by the Japanese in Pearl Harbor, and but we do have the uh, Rocky Balboa mentality. We will always triumph in the end. So I hope this is sort of a wake-up call to America. And uh, we're facing a, a threat from China that is uh, unprecedented. And China has the strategic intent to not only beat America physically, but also to replace uh, uh, the world, uh, uh, in the world, with the Chinese communist model of governance. Not only that, China is much more capable than the good old time Soviet Union because China has a much more advanced technology. Um, and the economic power is unparalleled in comparison to the Soviet Union. And China enjoys also a lot of opportunities it doesn't deserve. China is a full member of the international free trade system. That system has enabled and enriched the Chinese Communist Party, and we should really do something to stop that, stop providing opportunities uh, to Chinese Communist Party that it, does, that it does not deserve. So we have the USMCA that you guys signed when you guys were in office. Do you know what China's doing? They're buying up Mexican manufacturing and selling Chinese-made material that said made in Mexico into the U.S., so they are taking uh, yes. advantage of free trade. Yeah, not only that, a lot of uh, a lot of many Mexico fentanyl. I mean, it's actually Chinese to Chinese sources um, and the materials. Uh, uh, even the financing has something to do with the Chinese uh, organized crime uh, orchestrated by the government. I hear you, uh, Miles. Lastly, just on the Trump on the Trump situation, John Radcliffe sounded off on this, saying that the Trump administration allowed it to happen three times. Cut fifteen. Every time something goes wrong in the Biden administration, there's one of two responses. They either find a way to blame the Trump administration or they try and find a way to say the Trump administration did it, too. And that's what they're trying to say here. This happened during the Trump administration. It didn't. Uh, And you would have heard about it before. So I texted Mike Pompeo last night, interviewed him. And then I also texted Robert O'Brien. He said it never happened. John Radcliffe said it never happened. They walked it back and then said it happened undetected, undetected, think about this, undetected, we didn't relay it to the White House, but it happened in Texas and two other places. If you never detected it, why are you telling us it happened? So either you detected it and didn't relay it, or it was legitimately undetected and you made it up. Yeah, but I think, you know, the, the, the Chinese, uh, uh, basically, we have uh, uh, sailed through uh, uh, many of the areas, international waters, in Western Pacific, particularly the South China Sea and the Taiwan Strait, the China said this is a sovereign uh, domain. We ignore them. So the Chinese said, no, what if we, we, we do something similar? Americans say, fine, no, <laughs> as long as you follow international law. So the, the Chinese uh, uh, aircraft did come close to the American shore in Alaska a couple of times in, a, in conjunction with the joint exercise with Russia. But it did not really penetrate into American sovereign airspace. 
So that's most likely is, is, is something uh, I think likely to happen. But I don't, I don't believe. You're right. I mean, if you didn't detect it, how do you know? <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> it's, it's such a joke. So, uh, you know, it was unbelievable. So it's just it's, let's see what happens from here, see what the president mentions it tomorrow night. And we have a balloon coming up from Central America. We'll see if we do anything about that or see if it goes off course. Remember, they are steering it. They could bring it anywhere. And they, they, they're the ones who were in our face all week. Uh, Miles Yu, thanks so much. She's one of the best people to talk to about this. Appreciate it. You bet. All right. When we come back, your calls, 1-866-408-7669. Uh, John Eisenberg at the bottom of the hour. We get ready to go to the Super Bowl. Don't move. Learning something new every day on the Brian Kilmeade Show. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. Stay on top of the latest news and information from Fox News. Listen and download the Fox News Hourly Update on your time. The trending stories you need anytime you want it. Listen and download now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Out of the gates and ready to go. Hey, it's Hutton with Row. Hot Mike is here on the Outkick Network. We've got your afternoon covered with the latest sports discussion, and it's available wherever you find your audio. Daily analysis and news. He is hot. I am Mike. Actually, my <laughs> name is Chad. His name is Jonathan. But you get the picture. We're going to bring it every single day. Whatever you want to call us, we'll respond to. We just want you to respond to what we're dishing out every day. And while you're here, we hope you subscribe to the podcast, like, subscribe, and share. Fastest three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Earlier today, an American fighter jet shot down a suspected Chinese surveillance balloon that had been spotted crossing the United States, officially ending history's most complicated gender reveal party. <laughs> and bad news for China, it's a girl. Right, because uh, they don't like girls. Uh, they don't, I didn't think they let girls be born for like 25 years. Uh, and you had one-child policy. Now they're in uh, a world of hurt, by the way. I'm pro-girls. Uh, if you have a girl, I think most Americans are extremely happy. That's uh, one of the things where the rubber hits the road between our two nations. The other big story I'll be going over is what's going on with 2024. It seems the, the polling's overwhelming. Believe it or not, despite the decent show at the midterms, despite the jobs numbers, these guys do not want Donald Trump. Democrats do not want uh, Joe Biden to be their nominee. I mean, the numbers are astounding. He's got 42% approval rating, according to ABC. Six in 10 Americans said they'd be disappointed or even angry if he wins again. That is more than just 56% that have a negative response to Trump winning. 67% uncomfortable with him running. 32% are enthusiastic. Can you imagine that? I have never seen that number. 32% enthusiastic about him running again. Why? He's way too old. He has not been on top of things. He makes you really uncomfortable. He's taken over 200 days off since he got the job two years ago. Who is off 200 days? Uh, The economy? You think people would be happy? 36% approve. 36% approve him economically. Foreign policy, 41%. The war in Ukraine that he's going to take a bow on tonight. Excuse me. Tuesday night, 41% approval rating. So I'll go over some other polls. Uh, There's some panic. And guess who we lose to? Donald Trump by four points, according to an ABC Washington Post poll. When we come back, we talk a little football, the big game on Sunday. Hundreds of millions will watch. We'll break it down.
the talk show that's getting you talking. You're with Brian Kilmeade. I think it's special, and I've learned more and more about the, the history of the black quarterback since I've been in this league, and uh, uh, the guys that came before me and, and Jalen set the stage for this, and now I'm just glad that we can kind of set the stage for guys that are uh, kids that are coming up now. I think it's history. I think it's something that's worthy of being noted, and it is history. You know, it's come a long way. I think there's only been seven um, African-American quarterbacks to play in the Super Bowl. So um, to be the first for some is, is pretty cool. So I know it'll be a good one. Absolutely. And that, of course, is Patrick Mahomes and Jalen Hurts. They'll be starting against each other first time in history, two black quarterbacks. Uh, and it was never uh, – it hasn't been a big deal for a while, but it was when it first happened. I think John Gillum was one of the ones with the Pittsburgh Steelers who had a chance to play, and James Harris with the Rams – uh, had a chance to play, and Doug Williams with uh, Washington, uh, re- then the Redskins, he was playing, and now it's it's pretty much commonplace. John Eisenberg writes about it in an upcoming book called Rocket Man, the Black Quarterbacks Who Revolutionized Pro Football, and John Eisenberg joins us now. John, how significant? It, it means a lot to them. Does it mean a lot to the NFL to have these two quarterbacks play against each other? Well, I hope so. Uh, uh, you know, whether it means a lot to the NFL. I mean, you were right in, in that intro in that it's, it's become more mainstream, much more mainstream than it was when when uh, those guys that you mentioned, James Harris and Joe Gillum, you know, back in the 70s. I mean, they were real groundbreakers. There were none before them, really. And so it's been a slow uh, increase, very, very slow over the years. So. I think that, uh, yes, uh, I think it's really important. I hope the league feels it's important. I know the players do. And, uh, you know, uh, it's uh, it's uh, considering the history, which is what I write about in this book, uh, and the obstacles they faced and the, the slow pace of progress, uh, as great as it is to see this, I mean, it, it's still a big thing. Right. I mean, of course, you. Uh, I remember Randall Cunningham was just changing the, the nature of the position, his uh, his older brother Sam Cunningham running back on the New England Patriots, and he was just changing the nature of the position. And then he said something in an interview. He says, why is it that when people describe me, they say I'm a great athlete. When they describe white quarterbacks, they always talk about how smart they are. And and I thought to myself, I never even thought about it. But if you're a black quarterback, you're thinking about that. Well, he's good because he's elusive or he can run, right. he can scramble. So did did you pick some of that up in your research that people were saying things that may be racially insensitive? Oh, absolutely, and 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 it's ongoing. You know, the question of of what of whether it's a big deal now, even though we black quarterbacks have become very common. There was an academic study, I believe it was the University of Wisconsin, in, in 2011 or 12, a pretty recent, that said yes, this type of language, uh, and this is a, a couple of academics traced the language that is used on draft prospects specifically. And they found out exactly that kind of stuff was still going on. The good white prospects were, you know, heady and, uh, uh, you know, less likely to make mental errors and uh, were, you know, it was, it was how smart they were. And uh, the black prospects were, you know, great athletes and, and things like that. And so, that sort of broad brush treatment, you know, is a very dangerous thing in, in any realm and, and certainly was the case here. I remember Warren Moon, one of the great quarterbacks of his generation, had to start in CFL. No one really wanted – they said, oh, this guy's not going to be an NFL quarterback. Well, he lit it up in the CFL, comes back to the NFL and had a great career with the Oilers uh, especially. So was that an example of breaking through? He was not a traditional oh, yeah. quarterback. He was not a scramble first guy. 
No, Warren Moon is, is a key figure in my book, and he's, he's actually on the cover, and he was very helpful in the project, I might add. Uh, you know, I was glad that this story is being told. And so, yes, he, he goes undrafted, even though, uh, you know, he won the Rose Bowl as a, as a senior and, and, it, and it played incredibly well in that game against Michigan. And, uh, and so, yes, he has to go to Canada for six years. And, and he had to live through, by the way, pre-draft, uh, the, the pre-draft assessment was, you know, maybe he, his arm isn't that great. This is a guy that wound up throwing for 50,000 yards. So an incredible talent. Uh, and when he comes to the Houston Oilers, finally, after being in Canada for six years, and by the way, winning five titles in six years in the CFL, um, he is the only black uh, starting quarterback in the NFL. There, there, there were none. And so he, and he's a year before Cunningham and he, he just was sort of the lodestar for a long time. He and Cunningham and then Doug Williams, who had been in Tampa for four or five years, those are really the only three into like the 1990s. Uh, this was the case. And, and Warren Moon, of course, is eventually enshrined in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. So just an incredible talent that uh, hard to believe you look back not even drafted so it just shows you where the realm was back in the late 70s right i mean there's also there were plenty of black players he just thought okay uh this player uh black players they'll be defensive backs they'll be linebackers they'll be defensive linemen mostly white players be offensive linemen there was a there was a this is what it's going to take to win mentality i don't think necessarily people walking around uh, being racist there was just a tendency that that's what you do did you find that uh, yeah, I mean it's it's a combination of a couple things. I mean, if certainly in some cases there was racism, but in, in other cases there there was uh, just sort of it was it was the way it was. I mean, and that was in all levels of football. Uh, they they just felt like uh, yes, and in, uh, you know it was definitely the base, the ground basis of it was uh, a lot of people didn't think well, they're not smart enough. I mean, blacks were having a hard time finding uh, leadership uh, positions really in any realm. I mean, if you go back and look at the history of CEOs and and things like that, the 60s, the 70s, the 80s is a real time when it was hard to break through that ceiling. Uh, And then once some of these guys were out there, uh, those guys in particular definitely opened the flow of things. Uh, but, uh, you know, there's still still these concerns about situations like that. And going back to that language we talked about earlier, you know, can they can they be uh, leaders? Right. Can they run an offense? And, uh, you know, it's it's changed. But, boy, it, it was it was very slow. And coming. And by the way, talking to John Eisenberg, he's got a book coming out uh, called Rocket Man, the black quarterbacks who revolutionized pro football. And, of course, two black quarterbacks starting in this game and really respected around the league as people and uh, obviously is a great Players, this is a new generation they're actually pioneering. Think about two, John. I know you have. How many quarterbacks that would have been that got converted? Oh, you might have been a quarterback in college, not here. You're going to be a defensive back. You're, or you're going to play a different position. Oh, my gosh. Well, I, I will say I chronicle a number of these stories in, in the book. If, if you go back and look, it's really the generations, the 60s, the 70s, the 80s. Uh, you know, there was a there was a guy. You want to go way back? There, there was a guy, Sandy Stevens. Uh, this is going back in history. One was the first black All American quarterback in major college football at the University of Minnesota. Led them to a national title. Led them to two Rose Bowls, and one of which he won. And just a great player. And and he never never took a snap in the NFL. 
uh, as a quarterback. And he had to go to Canada, and they eventually made him a running back. And it just never got the benefit of the doubt. They're, they're, and, and this is a guy you can't have really a better college career. And so there are a number of those guys uh, over the years, generation after generation of it. It's really, really sad uh, because there's so many guys. There's no doubt if you throw the full force of an organization behind a guy, like, say, for instance, Lamar Jackson today with the Baltimore Ravens, uh, sort of an unusual skill set. But they throw the support of the organization behind him, and look what happens. You know, great success. There's no doubt there are plenty of guys through the years, <clears throat> excuse me, where that could have been the case, but they just didn't get the opportunity. Right, and that's why your book is going to be so important, and that's why this Sunday will be so historic. Uh, soon it'll be, who's my quarterback? Uh, I don't I don't see black or white. You just see styles. You can't say right. uh, white people are uh, pocket passers and blacks like to run. You can't make those universal statements. They're just quarterbacks. And now there's so much at stake if a coach or a GM says, I'm not going to draft him because he's black or white or Asian, uh, but yet they can help me win, they're not going to have a job for too long. Oh, well, that's absolutely true. I mean, uh, you know, anybody that takes any sort of calculus, anything other than who's the best player, they're, they are going to be out of the league. They're going to be losing games. And, and one thing that's really important to understand that was sort of the final straw in this was was the, the NFL football in itself changed uh, for, for so long. They just wanted these pocket passers, drop back quarterbacks. And that denied, uh, you know, some of the, they, they didn't really even want mobile quarterbacks. Uh, it was a game of pocket passers. And this is something I detailed the book and, and it really doesn't change for good until Cam Newton comes along and, and Robert Griffin and uh, Kaepernick early in his career, unbelievable talent and, and guys like that, Russell Wilson, guys that, and suddenly and it came from college football up to the pros. And uh, so the pros realized, Hey, you know, maybe it's good if we have a guy that if they're getting ready to sack him, he runs around and uh, you know, can make something happen. And that's really uh, one of the main changes in the quarterback position uh, in the NFL took place really around 2010 and certainly is the case today with a lot of these sort of, uh, you know, uh, different types of offenses and running quarterbacks or quarterbacks who are good runners. So that, that was a huge change that took place. And so NFL is different. Uh, the football is different now. And I, I, that's really been helpful to the black quarterbacks. Yep. Uh, John Eisberg, best of luck with the book. Thank you so much for joining us. Oh, thanks for having me on. You got it. Uh, of course, uh, I'll be out there. The show is going to be out there Friday. Uh, and we'll be back to recap all the action on Monday in Arizona. All right, we come back. I'll take your calls. One eight six six four zero eight seven six six nine. Also, who is the governor that said Donald Republican governor that said Donald Trump Trump can't beat Joe Biden? I'll tell you who. I'll let you hear what he had to say when we come back. For the first time ever, two brothers will be facing off against each other in the Super Bowl. Incidentally, two brothers in the Super Bowl is why my grandfather won't be watching. (laughs) On February, man, wow. Educating, entertaining, enlightening. You're with Brian Kilmeade. He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade. You saw what our poll said about Trump-Biden. You think Donald Trump can beat Biden? No. 
Unfortunately, at the end of the day, uh, November of 22 showed us that, right? Trump is going to be seen as a very extreme candidate. The country is going to push back against it. If we just look at the results of, of three months ago, and that shows you where extreme candidates are going to end up falling. It, it, can't, it can't get done. He could get the nomination, but he can't get done. And what I try to espouse to Republicans is, look, we want to vote for the most conservative candidate that can win in November and get stuff done in 25. Governor Kristen Newton making it clear that he would support Trump if he got the nomination. But he doesn't think he can beat Joe Biden, even though he's trailing by four. And Joe, and one of the main reasons that Joe Biden stays in it, the Democratic school of thought was because they know he could beat Donald Trump. Now, I actually, without a pandemic, Joe Biden loses by about 20 points. Uh, I think he gets crushed. Without a pandemic, he gets crushed by Trump. So I think it was all about the circumstances, how you handle it, the perilous times in which it was, was taking place. So Chris Christie uh, weighed in, too, about the same thing with 2024, cut 26. Here's the problem. Politicians, when they run for office, you don't always win. Sometimes the other guy loses. Joe Biden's president because Donald Trump lost. Joe Biden didn't win. And Joe Biden's never taken possession of that fact. And so he continues to do what he did when he was running, which he thinks was great because I won. No, you didn't win. Trump lost. And you can't change who somebody is, John. In the end, Joe Biden is not an exciting candidate. He's old. He's boring. And the American people are not relating to him. And that's why those numbers are the way they are. That was the same in 2020. But he's running against someone who was so toxic that he won anyway. Well, that person did get 71 million votes. But he lost Georgia, lost Arizona, and didn't pull off Wisconsin where he did the first time. But I do think that Joe Biden was a worse candidate who has no energy but wasn't allowed to leave his basement. It was the perfect storm for him to win. And you look at the midterms, what he did is he played the Trump card, uh, the mega, that mega principle, that that uh, mega Republican, different from your father's Republican Party. They keep on tapping into it. They get in panic about what's going on with the balloon. They look so weak. Donald Trump looked this, uh, the same way. Donald Trump had the same problem. So they are looking, they, they think they have it with Trump. So if Trump won, 83% of Republicans would be happy. If Biden won, 78% of Democrats would be happy. Uh, where 6 in 10 Americans believe the economy condition is bad, 76% say they worry about inflation the most. So tomorrow night, the president's going to bring up how great the economy is. What I think he should understand and someone should explain to him is the American people don't agree. So that is what... This poll numbers on CBS and ABC really dominated this weekend. Here's Mary Bruce, an ABC senior White House correspondent. Cut, 20, uh, cut 23. Tuesday is a good opportunity for a soft launch, right? He hasn't made it official, but, yeah, this is a chance for him to really outline the argument for him to have another four years. We know what to expect here, right? He's going to argue that the economy is strong, based especially off of the latest jobs numbers. He's going to say he deserves credit for that and make the case that he deserves another four years to continue it. The problem is that that message hasn't been resonating. I mean, right, look at the poll. Four in ten Americans say that the economy uh, isn't helping out. They feel worse off now than they did when he started. And the poll also shows that Americans just aren't feeling him, right? They aren't feeling the effects of any economic growth in their wallet, but they also aren't enthusiastic about him. And that's a real problem. And here's what it could be if the polls are down and the the economy is going to slow down at the very least. I'm not, I'm not I don't like to say recession because some people can will it and too many people get hurt when they do it. But something's wrong with those numbers. 
I can't believe how many major corporations, from Goldman Sachs to Google to Walmart to uh, Twitter, obviously, to Facebook, laying thousands of people off to Amazon, and then we added 512,000 jobs. So if you're going to come out and he's got to go win it, he's got to go get four more years, how did he do it? Barack Obama, how did he win? He made Mitt Romney the story. Mitt Romney's unelectable. He's a rich white guy who will destroy the country and only be for rich white guys. So they had to make him a cartoon. The guy that's not capable of doing that is Joe Biden because Joe Biden does not have the energy. As Chris Christie brought up, do you actually see Joe Biden crisscrossing the country? Cut 27. He is not capable of running a traditional American race. And what he had in 20 was a gift. He had Donald Trump, who was toxic, and he had a a pandemic which prevented him from having to go out and speak every day. That was true. I don't think, I mean, I think Chris Christie's overstating it. Donald Trump wasn't toxic. He was polarizing. What he lost was female, women, soccer moms. He lost those those um, suburban moms that were so valuable to his first win. He lost the female vote. He picked up a lot of Hispanic votes. He picks up some black votes, but he lost in key areas. And we also know what was working against him. Every social media outlet working against him. The Zuckerbucks target marketing the districts, which was so vital to flip a state. Millions upon millions of dollars. We know every media outlet. We know the NRA was... Uh, investigated suddenly by New York State. We know the Drudge Report was bought by a mysterious outlet who suddenly became as anti-Trump as any outlet, period. We know that Brad Parscale, the key to his ingenious social media marketing campaign, seemed to melt down in the middle. You know, we find him naked without a shirt on, wife claiming that something else happened uh, bad there. These are all key aspects of how that stopped Trump, who still got 71 million votes. Now, I think he's going to have a heck of a time getting the nomination. And I don't love the fact that he was asked by you, Hewitt, if you don't get the nomination, will you support the Republican? Really? He said, I don't know. I don't know. Of course you got to support the Republican. The alternative is terrible for the country. That's the attitude that had you lose Georgia in 2020. You didn't care about the runoffs in the Georgia election. That fed into Purdue losing, and that fell into uh, Kelly Loeffler losing. The president didn't put his energy here, never lost the election, took game at the sitting governor and the secretary of the Georgia of Georgia State. So that's not a great attitude. But if the president can start doing some of these things, that might change the perception. But right now, he's leading. From the Fox News Radio Studios in Midtown Manhattan, it's the fastest growing radio talk show. Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for being here, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show, 1-866-408-7669. I come to you from 48th and 6th in Midtown Manhattan. Heard around the country, heard around the world, of course. If you're in the Northeast, it was zero or minus five. Or if you're in the mountains, minus 100 degrees or something like that. They shut down ski slopes on Saturday. On Sunday, it was about 50. Listen, I'm not complaining. I'm just pointing out. Now, normally they would say there goes global warming, but we don't use global warming, climate change. So anytime the, the weather changes, it's more proof that we, uh, we're destroying the place. We have to stop with our gas ovens. More on that later. Uh, this hour, we're going to be joined by Dara Torres, the Olympic legend swimmer. Janice Dean's going to be in here. As he's got a big special coming up on Wednesday night. Uh, the demise that uh, was chronicled by my next guest, Michael Goodwin of Governor Cuomo, her role in that. So let's get to the big three. 
Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Sponsored by Crunch Fitness. Interested in owning your own business in a growing $30 billion industry? Check out Crunch Fitness at crunch.com. Number three. These numbers really stand out to me, right? Six in ten Americans say they would be disappointed or even angry if he wins again. That is more than the just 56% that have a negative response to Trump winning. So the president has to make a compelling argument. Right. At the State of the Union and with his reelection, nobody's excited. 2024, the obstacles remain for Joe Biden to win another four years and headwinds are coming from the left. GOPers are more comfortable than ever being critical of Donald Trump. That's coming from the right, who, by the way, beats Biden by four points in the latest ABC poll. Plus, I'll tell you about the changes in the primary process. Number two. Do you want him to run again? I mean, you saw our poll. We have a large number of Democrats say they don't want him to run again. He is an absolutely historically successful president and i want to see that continue really you're the one state of the union a day before the address what the numbers say what you think and feel are diametrically opposed to what the president's saying is going on with our economy we will look at the numbers and explore number one letting a chinese surveillance balloon lazily drift over america it's like seeing a robber on your front porch and inviting him in, showing him where you keep your safe, where you keep your guns, where your children sleep at night, and then politely asking him to leave. Right. Blowback on blowing up the Chinese bubble. Uh, balloon, I should say. What they were up to and why did the Pentagon wait until Saturday to blow it up when they were told to blow it up and could have blown it up a week ago? Why does this administration invoke Trump every time they get in trouble? With me right now is Michael Goodwin. Michael, put in perspective the journey of the balloon and the explosion which took place I thought it was way too long. They should have stopped in Alaska. Never would have reported it if a if a local reporter in Billings, Montana, didn't say he cited it and find get a photojournalist to picture it. So, what do you think about these these events as they unfolded? Well, look, I, uh, Brian, I think that there's there's no way to to spin this other than this was a something of a taunt by China against the United States and. To, for the Biden administration to sort of sit there uh, for the better part of four days while it's visible to the country and there are photographs of it everywhere um, is pretty remarkable. When, you know, it, it doesn't get more, I think, in your face than that. And look, I, I, you know, we don't want to get into a war out of a kind of, you know, macho contest, but there is there is a kind of uh, international law about uh, n- not a law per se, but a, but a law in the sense of how you conduct yourselves and what is expected of your opponents. And I think if I'm China, I'm thinking, well, that went over well. I mean, they they let it happen, and then he shoots it down finally, and there's all kinds of criticism. So America looks not only weak but divided. And so if I'm China, uh, I'm thinking, well, that's one for us. And if I'm Taiwan, I'm thinking, oh my goodness, what? You know, we're going to count on America to come to our rescue when China can can do that in America's own territory. So I think it was a. In a geopolitical sense, it was a huge statement by China and a very weak and belated response by America, which means China China takes from this a, a, a go sign on aggression wherever it pleases. 
I just thought one thing, it didn't work to their advantage if they really they were making overtures over the last few weeks that they wanted to have a reset with this with administration. And then they do this and they continue. By the way, everyone uh, discounts. It's it's not a wayward balloon. They were still steering it right through all our military sites through Montana with this 520 nuclear silos. It is insane. Listen to Mike Turner. Uh, Mike Turner is also on the uh, in the Intelligence Committee. Cut seven. The key, obviously, is not just the balloon. The key is is the payload that was attached to it, which you've reported is you know the size of three bus, uh, buses. Um, that's that's obviously huge, and it was being commanded and controlled by mainland China and delivering in data and information back to mainland China. Again, if you look at the path and you put X's where all of our sensitive missile defense and nuclear weapons facilities are, I believe that they were trying to gain uh, information on how to defeat the command and control of our nuclear weapon systems and our missile defense systems. That's a crisis. That certainly should have had an urgent to the president and not just wait until this gets to the Atlantic to take it down. Right. Uh, so obviously there's going to they're going to be brief. The gang gate's going to be brief. But the bottom line is they quickly pivot to blaming Trump. They said Trump had this happen three times. The problem is they didn't. So Pompeo, Robert O'Brien, uh, John Radcliffe go, no, we have no record of this. The president, former president, we have no record of this. Then they walk it back and then they come back and say, well, there were breaches we didn't tell the administration. Is that the worst explanation ever? If it is true, if it isn't true, it's even more diabolical. Well, it, I, I agree, Brian. And and once again, no matter how you slice this, it makes America look weak. And you know, on on this level, before a shot is fired, that's a huge advantage in the strat, strategic games of geopolitics that you have a country that looks weak. You have another country that looks bold and aggressive and not fearful. Uh, Look, I'm sure we're doing lots of things to spy on China as well, but this in-your-face thing done where the public can see it, I think is gotta be rattling nerves in Washington because you invite more of it. And I think that's the lesson that will come of this. And you know, talk about our allies around the world. Without the United States, what is NATO really? Um, what, do, what do our Asian allies, Japan, South Korea, et cetera, what do they really have by way of defense without America? Um, look at the Mideast. I mean, Israel is a strong, is a strong military, but what what about our other allies there the arab countries the gulf countries what are they without our ultimate umbrella so i think this is a an important moment not just with china american relations but how does russia view this right what did they take what did iran take from this and then of course what are all our allies i think this is going to reverberate for a long time. And of course, look, uh, Brian, you and I have talked many times. I've written, you've talked about, you know, the issue of Joe Biden being compromised with China. Um, I, I, you know, it, it, it's inescapable at this moment to wonder if his sign right. of weakness is in some way a reflection of the guilt. Don't forget it. it Xi Jinping knows all about the Hunter Biden payments, knows how much 
role Joe Biden was playing, knows what private communications were from the Biden family, as Hunter often said, the Biden family, when his father was vice president. I mean, Joe Biden took Hunter Biden to China, where Hunter Biden scored a $1.5 billion investment from a Chinese bank. Do you think Xi Jinping doesn't know about that? Do you think that he doesn't know the terms of that? Did, did he and Joe Biden discuss it? Right. I mean, the, the possibilities are endless. Well, let's so, just say we know one thing. They would not have blown up that balloon had that Montana photojournalist not took a picture and called NORAD. Then, well, they did, the then we they flew wanted, up a drone next to it and we showed you exactly where the balloon was going. We put the pressure on. And then he turns around. If this is reports true, he turns around Wednesday and he says, blow up the balloon. And the Millie tells him and Austin tell him, no, it's too dangerous. We're going to wait to get it over water. What? Too dangerous? This is big sky country. There's no people. What do you mean it's too dangerous? Then they go to South Dakota. Then they go to Wyoming, the most open land in the country. And he says it's too dangerous. I don't understand where he comes from on that. And by the way, since when does the military push back on the president? Because we heard it was the president alone that recommended we get out of Afghanistan the way we did. And then they all testify that he wouldn't listen to us when we told him what a disaster would be had we left and took all our uh, took everything with us. Listen to Steve Daines, a Montana senator on the risk to his people. Cut 16. They could have shot that balloon down and the biggest risk might have been hitting a cow, a prairie dog or an antelope. And yet his secretary of defense said it was too risky. Look, uh, Mark Milley scares me um, as a uh, as a leader of our military. He, you know, his conduct with Trump calling the Chinese, uh, you know, to warn them that Trump wanted to attack. I mean, I don't know how that guy keeps his job. I mean, I guess that's how all you have to do is criticize Trump and you're, you know, you're good enough to go. But but the other part, uh, Brian, too, about secrecy, they supposedly were keeping it secret because they didn't want to interfere with Blinken's visit to China. Now, again, if you're China, you think, wow, they think this is so important that they're willing to let us spy on their country in order to have a meeting with the Secretary of State? Uh, and and as, as, as Fox was reporting over the weekend, I, I was uh, watching some of, the, some of the guests, what was the purpose of Blinken's trip? What I mean, is he going there hat in hand? I mean, what is he going to say to him? Please take down your balloons. You're embarrassing us. Uh, I mean, it's just there's so many questions about America's posture now under Joe Biden internationally. And, you know, it, it, it begs the mind. It, it, it begs belief that we are in a strong position. We just look weak. And that is, you know, as we all know, that is the thing that that gets you stuck in a war, not strength, but weakness. I just want to talk about Biden real quick. You had a great column. I like to talk to you at a different time when we get this balloon thing handled about the trust in media and how they blew it seven years ago with the whole Russia investigation. But I just don't want you to weigh in. Now, Joe Biden's going to have a State of the Union tomorrow and then he's going to officially make his reelection known. I can't believe 32 percent of Democrats are excited that he's going to run enthusiastic. Sixty seven percent would be angry at seven. Sixty seven percent would be angry if he did win. That, that this to me is it defies what happened at the midterms, where it was basically a standstill. Anything but a red wave. 
So I would thought Chris Sununu, a lot of people also were going at President Trump, who has a, would win by four points overall in the latest ABC poll. Listen to what uh, Chris Sununu said uh, about Trump if he was uh, to win again, if he was to run again. And tell me if you, you buy into it. Uh, here he is. Um, where is this? Here it is. Cut 25. You saw what our poll said about Trump, Biden. You think Donald Trump can beat Biden? No. Unfortunately, at the end of the day, uh, November of 22 showed us that, right? Trump is going to be seen as a very extreme candidate. The country is going to push back against it. So what is your reaction to that? I tend to think it's right, right now. Well, things can change. But, uh, Brian, I believe Donald Trump cannot win over, so, uh, so far has not won over, swing voters in swing states. I think that is the lesson of November 22, when you the, the Herschel Walkers, the Kyrie Lakes uh, in, in Nevada and Pennsylvania. Uh, you know, he just cannot pull across those people because, as you and I have discussed, because of this insistence that they agree the 2020 election was stolen and Joe Biden is an illegitimate president. That's the burden that he put on these candidates. And when you, when you put that burden on them, the swing voters, for a number of reasons, not just one reason, but I think they say, look, it's the past. I want to know what about the future. And it, it, it turns enough people off that all of those candidates lost. And right now you have, as a result, the Democrats controlling the Senate and a very narrow margin in the House. And I, I, in, unless Trump be, starts to sing a different tune and looks forward instead of backwards, I think it's going to be very hard for him to win a general election. Right. Uh, although Joe Biden's running around the country with a great message, which is anything but anti-Trump. Uh, would be would be a tough sell too. It's just amazing yes, to see Democrats sour on him. Yeah, I think I think both parties do not want Trump or Biden. I mean, I think that's the message so far. It's it's amazing if there is a rematch of those two, it, it would be against the will of what seems to be a majority of both parties. Michael Goodwin, thanks so much. Always appreciate Bye. it. My pleasure. Thank you, Brian. All right, you got it. One eight six six four zero eight seven six six nine. We're going to come back and. Uh, and take your calls, and then at the bottom of the hour, actually, uh, yeah, take your calls, bottom of the hour, Janice Dean, then Dara Torres, five-time Olympian, 12-time Olympic medalist. Don't move. Diving deep into today's top stories, it's Brian Kilmeade. Information you want. Truth you demand. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Hey, welcome back, everybody. Let's go out to the phones where Tom is listening on Long Island. Hey, Tom. Brian, how are you? Good. What's on your mind? Brian, I was just telling uh, Peter, I'm glad that I finally heard somebody bring up the simple fact that the Pentagon couldn't stop Biden from emptying Afghanistan out and leaving billions of dollars of equipment there. Couldn't stop them, no matter how bad that was going to be. But this one, I'm going to listen to the Pentagon. It's a freaking balloon. It's unbelievable. I mean, how risk-averse. This is the Pentagon. Usually you would think by caricature, the Pentagon would need to be reined in by a very, you know, cerebral administration. Instead, you have a Pentagon. We give them billions of dollars. They don't want to do anything. 
except for go crack down on gender abuse or redo the cu- curriculum at Annapolis and West Point? Well, frankly speaking, to get to the point, I think this was all done as a scam to to complacency of the American public. Okay. Oh, don't worry about it. It, that thing, that mission was completed by China. It went from one end of this country to the other, looked up every missile base we have. And finally what happens is after they get all the information, they sink it in the ocean, which no one, no citizen, police force, fire department, anyone, if it was shot over the, the continental United States, could look at it. Falls in the ocean. There's only a few choice few that are going to be able to pick that up. And you're never going to hear what was on that thing. Clearly, you could see they have an antenna. It's the size of a bus. Okay, it could go all around the world. I hear you. Uh, I do think the American people are going to force both sides to to get tougher on China. 82% of the American people look at China as an enemy. And that would bring both sides together. And I'm encouraged that the House has Democrats on that China Select Committee. So I think that's pretty awesome. That subcommittee headed up by Mike Gallagher. So my fingers are crossed. We woke up now. From his mouth to your ears, it's Brian Kilmeade. Hey, with me in studio, Janice Dean, Fox News' senior meteorologi- uh, meteorologist and New York Times bestselling author. Her book is now out of well, I Am the Storm, inspiring stories of people who fight against overwhelming odds and hosts of the Janice Dean podcast. But Janice, you're not just not only talking about your book, you also have a special coming out. Coming out on Wednesday with Fox Nation. It is I Am the Storm, and it's... Interviews that I did in the book, but in person with some of uh, the chapters that I've focused on. So it drops on Wednesday. It does. It drops. It drops. I've seen it. It's really unbelievable. Right. And you go got to get the, another reason to get the Fox Nation app. And basically when I am the storm, it just is – it starts with you taking on uh, Governor Cuomo. But that fight's not over. Oh, gosh, no. We're still going at it. I actually – I'm about to release an op-ed – uh, very shortly that connects the dots between the USS Comfort and the Javits Center and the Cuomo administration and why they didn't put COVID positive yeah, they were patients totally in there. empty, right? Oh, yeah. But I have an email exchange that might uh, not surprise people, um, but it might infuriate people, including families like mine who were dumbfounded that they put over 9,000 COVID positive patients into nursing homes without testing them when they had federal facilities provided by the government. Right. Would would remind everybody what they had. They had a cruise ship. Yes. And the Javits Center. Together, over 4,000 beds were available. Yeah. It was interesting because- And it went unused. Gavin Newsom used it, didn't he? He got the Mercy ship. I think he actually put people in those ships. Well, he had the same executive order, but it wasn't in effect for as long as Cuomo's was, which was 46 days. Was that your phone? Yeah, it looks like I have a sports update. (laughs) Uh, It said, could a dark horse win the MVP? See, if I did that, 
like I put my phone way over there and I turned it off. If I came in here and all of a sudden I'm getting phone calls from my mom or my husband. Well, that was a Fox Sports alert. So I feel so like it was in the family. So what does it say that's so important? Uh, nothing, really. It said a dark horse could win the MVP. Oh. Right. And Which what does that really mean? Not, nothing important. But Who I is know, the dark horse? Uh, well, they would just when you say a dark horse, that yeah, means somebody unexpected. Yeah, it's like unexpected. against all odds. Yeah, somebody unexpected. Mm-hmm. Which is what my book, I Am the Storm, is about. So that helps. So the whole alert really helped you. It kind of does because it brings it full circle. Right. So who was on your special? Uh, Ron Kim, who uh, is the assemblyman, still in office, the Democratic, uh, wonderful friend of mine that had an uncle that died in a nursing home, is, was one of the first whistleblowers uh, to let people know that they were shutting nursing homes and not telling us what was going on in there, including putting thousands of COVID positive patients in there and really went up against his own party and the Cuomo machine while they were threatening him. So him, I also interviewed Lindsay Boylan. She was one of the first whistleblowers who said that he wasn't a nice guy. And he also put his hands on her in the, in, in the chambers. And then I also have an interview with Andrea Orris, who was a gymnast who has a unbelievable story as she was a young gymnast and one of the coaches that was coaching her and how she's trying to change the gymnastics world by being a better coach and and teaching with kindness. They also right. have Kenny Specht, who is an FDNY firefighter, who was one of the first to, to piece together uh, being down at ground zero and his cancer that he got from being there. So one of my – I didn't get permission to say this on radio, but one of the people we both know from the state capital of Albany, Mm -hmm. said that one thing about Governor Cuomo, when he's gone, he's gone. And I go, why don't you think he'll make a comeback? He goes, he has no friends. He says, even in the Democratic circles, he's hated in Democratic circles because he's such a bully. Well, he is, but I hear him on certain radio stations uh, trying to make a comeback. He's got a podcast. So there are people, I think, that are still afraid of him. Well, you could have a podcast. I mean that. I mean, people might they think you can get a sponsor, so you'll get a podcast. Yeah, and he does have experience as a politician. The other thing is Chris Cuomo mm-hmm. and going after Sid Rosenberg. Terrible. So, to, have you talked to Sid about this? I just all I do. We talk about this. <laughs> so, so, what a bully! He's just a bully. Chris They're- Cuomo says, "I hear you talking about bad about my brother. Do you want to fight for charity?" Oh my gosh! I mean, what was he, what's he talking about? Is this going to He's I'm it's the only way he's going to get press. He's on that television station that has maybe five viewers. Right. So I guess he's trying to use his bullying tactics and his incredible muscle to go up against a beloved figure in New Who's York number radio. one in the morning. Yeah. Sid's hilarious. I love him so much. Right. I think he should do it because I think he'd punch him out. Right. But I mean, should we at, at this age be? No, you're right. Be fighting in the hallways. It's just like, how old are you, Chris Cuomo, with your stupid? You know, do you remember when Tucker Carlson used like, <laughs> yeah, like a video in a loop showing of Chris, Chris Cuomo, Cuomo you know, lifting his weights and thinking he's like a tough guy? That's all he thinks he is. That's all he's got. Right. Well, I guess we'll see. Uh, I'm. I'm just <laughs> Would saying. Would you tune in? Would you pay for to see that? No, I don't. I don't want Sid to do it. I think because Sid's doing great. Why would he lower right, himself? Lower himself to that. Yeah, to do it. I mean, it's to me, if you're trying to establish yourself, you're stuck somewhere in Wyoming and Chris Cuomo calls you out. Yeah. And you think, oh, this could be my big break. Right. I'll come to New York and beat up a Cuomo. 
But for Sid, he's riding high. I wouldn't he is, go, right, exactly. But I think he should still talk about it because it's just yet another <laughs> example of those Cuomo brothers being bullies. Right, and that would be good. That would, that could. I would go and I would wear a weather bitch T-shirt. Because? Because Chris Cuomo apparently called me the weather bitch when I was going after his brother. All right, so tell me about the problems that people, if they have getting this book, it's oh. selling so well that the people can't keep it in stores. But no. people have to continue to order it. You're silver lining, man. I love that. They've had some problems getting it into the stores. We really don't know why. And I, I love my fans on social media because they have gone into stores and they've come back to report to me whether or not the book is there. Right. And it usually isn't, so they order it online. So you can order it online at Amazon and where right, you can, right. but I, it's very hard to actually go into a bookstore and find it. Right, but you should place the order there because they will order. They'll order anything. I know, but Brian, it's like it's a best-selling book that you can't find in stores. It's weird. It is. But you know who's good at that? Apple. Apple will invent the iPhone and they only make three. And then they're like, listen, I can't get it. I can't. I, I have to wait a year to is get it. Is that what it is? That's, that's where we should spin it. Right. It's like you can't get into stores because it is so popular. Right. I remember Madonna wrote that sex book, right? And, she, <laughs> and they wrapped it up. Did and you then ever they see didn't. That? Uh, no, I never saw it. Uh, but. Um, I do remember. By the way, that. I hear Madonna looks totally different now. Oh my gosh, she was on the Grammys last night. Right. Listen, People I love Madonna. That. She's sixty-four years old. Embrace that girlfriend, but she 64 looks completely is I know. different. And it's it makes me sad because I want to age gracefully. I do. I want to be one of those people that doesn't have to do all this kind of right. work. And you think Madonna's going to pressure you to do these this work? Is she going to pressure me? Yeah, that's no, what I'm she looks like an alien. I don't want to go anywhere near whatever right. she's doing. People were tweeting out they didn't even recognize. No, her. it's so sad, Brian. Right, because she was a beautiful woman, and she just looks uh, well. Maybe it's different. Isn't it the Botox that like floats out of you? It's not Botox though. It is. It's like it's plastic. Right. You know, remember that woman Jocelyn Weinstein? Sure. She's looking like her. Wow, could that be an addiction? People tell me that. I think it is. I really do. I think she just, you know, feels like she has to keep doing right. this stuff. Do you think that? Are you? Do you fear that I'll become so big that when people offer me advice, I'll be feel like they'll be afraid to offer me advice? <laughs> but you like don't have I'm, to. Guys don't do well. I won't say that because there are some men that go through some of that stuff. Right. But you are aging gracefully and you look very handsome. Right. Would you tell me if I started injecting myself and it starts looking worse? I would. I actually You don't think I'm too big a star to approach that? I know you won't do that because I know you as a person. What if I started taking steroids to look more like (laughs) – Like Chris Cuomo? Well, yes. Well, like Sid. Sid's kind of a bulky guy. We got to get to the bottom of it. Sid, I have to tell Sid that he has to stop the tanning. Why? Because it's dangerous. No, he was – Sid, if you're listening right now – Maybe it's spray on. No, he's told me he goes to the tanning salon. He can't stop. He's told me it's an addiction. (laughs) (laughs) But that's why I love him, too, is because he admits these things. Right. Okay. He admits he's uh, fallible. (laughs) Yes. But I know that, you know, you won't go down that Madonna road. Right. But if we want to watch your special beginning Wednesday. Yes, Wednesday it drops. Now, what happens? Is it like midnight that it comes on? I'm not sure. No, it'll come on right away. Like when you wake up. Whenever you wake up, it's there. Okay. And then, uh, and then, of course, get the book. Be patient. I am the storm. Yes, it's called I am the storm. You won't be disappointed. Janice Dean, thanks so much. I love you. All right. And I love you back. Uh, coming up next, Dara Torres. She won more Olympic medals than even Janice Dean. Back in a moment. It's Brian Kilmeade.
a talk show that's real. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. All right. Dara Torres is in studio. If you're smart enough to get Fox Nation, you see her, you recognize her. Five-time Olympian, 12-time Olympic medalist, New York Times bestselling author. I'm talking about four golds, four silver, four bronze. She doesn't travel with them because she knows she won them. Dara, welcome back. Wait, don't you know me well enough that you should, like, have this by heart? I, I mean, apologize. I, I mean, should, like, I should have memorized it. it. Like, come on. I right. mean, you don't even have to memorize it. We've known each other how many years? We've known each other <laughs> probably since 1993. Right. Right, 1993. Yeah. yeah. Right. So, That's when you were like, uh, I think you were just off your first Olympics. When was your first Olympics? No, that was after three Olympics. My first was 84. Oh, my God. 84, you should have done your homework. I know. I should have. <laughs> no, but I mean, this is, and then you just kept going. Yes, I, I kind of did. I took some breaks here and there, but kind of kept going. Yeah. But you, I mean, right now, if people aren't, don't, don't have the Fox Nation shape, you are in incredible shape. What are you doing now? Um, You know, a little TRX, a little Pilates. TRX so, works? Yeah, TRX and Solid Core. I just came from a Solid Core class. They have them all over what uh, is that? New York City. It's uh, a workout where you're on a Megaformer, which is like a Pilates machine. Um, and it's just basically every exercise you do, you're incorporating your core. So do you do it by yourself. You have to do it in a class. No, it's, it's, and it's a class. Look, I'm like, you know, I've always been told what to do my whole entire life. So when I go to a gym, I'm like, huh, what am I going to do? You know, and so I do much so better you, when someone's coaching me. So you need a one-on-one. I, I, it's, it has not to be one-on-one. It's just a class is fine too. Just as long as someone's telling me what to do. So now the, the one thing I want to get to uh, Brady's retirement and everything, but just uh, you don't do anything that is not totally with your lifestyle. So tell me what Can I Wellness is. So Can I Wellness. So I love Can I Wellness. Um, It's a supplement company that uh, tries to give us a way to be like faster and energize and recover and relax and sleep. And it's just, it's an awesome brand. And they're actually sprays. I brought some to show you. Sprays? They're sprays. Yes. Sprays work much better like than say gummies or you know, uh, putting a pill in your mouth. They're easy to use. They're fast acting. They, they work about three to nine times you faster. You spray it in your mouth. You spray it in your mouth under your tongue and you let it sit there for a few seconds and Gives it works. Gives you energy? Yes. Yeah, so, so can I boost is the energy one, which is awesome because sometimes in the morning, instead of like drinking like cups of coffee, coffee you can just have a little boost and you start your day. Um, I especially love can I sleep because you know, as you get older, you get a little more, um, like you're tired during the day, but then when you want to go to sleep, you can't fall asleep. And so it helps you fall asleep. And then some people actually, when they get up in the middle of the night and then they can't fall back asleep, but you take a few sprays and you know exactly how much, you know, you're putting in your mouth and you wake up not tired, which is like huge. How did you get a hold of it? How did you even find out about this? Well, I had had actually, I'd, I've had many knee surgeries that, you know, I've had lots of surgeries from all my training and stuff, but I had many knee surgeries and, uh, I accidentally after a knee surgery, had fallen and tore my uh, quad off my bone. And I was having such, I, I hate taking um, any kind of, um, you know, narcotics or anything like that. And they always give you pain pills after a surgery and they just, I don't know, they just make me feel nauseous and just not myself. And so I had a friend who was working with Can I um, Brands and Can I Wellness and uh, he had mentioned about using Can I Men for recovery. And I was like, look, at this point, I'll take anything because I, this pain is so awful. I've never had right. pain like this after a surgery. And so I started using the Can I Men's and I was like, wow, this is great. And so I reached out to the CEO and asked if there's any way I can like maybe help out or or be a part of it. So they made me tr- chief wellness officer. How great, great is that that you see a product and you say, <laughs> I could, this is something I can get behind. Well, yeah, exactly. Because, you know, a lot of people out there. Will it's the get other behind. way. 
we'll yeah, get behind it yeah, yeah. and they never use it or they don't like it, you know, and this is something I, I'm really just, uh, I love and it works and, and why not be right. a part of something that works? So when your last Olympics was at what age? I was 41 in 2008, although I tried for 2012 at 45 and missed the team by nine one hundredths of a second. Wow. Uh, so 41. So when, when Brady retires, you're one of the few people that says, I know why he kept playing. I know the sacrifice you have to make and probably why he ended up quitting. What do you sacrifice in terms of personal life when you when you are trying to compete at a high level? Well, you know, first of all, I mean, kudos to Brady. He's finally retiring. And, and I, I can only imagine how hard that was for him because you think about it, that's that's more than half his life is, is football. And that's what he knows. And um, he had to sacrifice a lot and and, you know, trying not to put football first, especially when you've already started a family. And, you know, who knows what happened in and out of, of his relationship right. and, and what's happened. But, you know, it's um, you, you sacrifice, you know, your family, you sacrifice, you know, time. There's just so many things you sacrifice, but, you know, it's it's who he is. You right. know, it's how he identifies. So which is going to be crazy, because now does that change? Yes, it does. So so for me, it was about trying to find something to satisfy you after all you know is like competition and and trying to win and stuff. And so I think for him it's it's probably spending more time with his family. Like for me with with my daughter Tessa, I started to do more. I started to become more involved. Not that I wasn't an involved parent, not that he's not either, but you, there's just you have different time now for yeah. the family that that you and and look, he you, you know he signed a, a contract, so he's going to be busy at some point, you know, doing TV work and stuff. So he'll be, still be associated to it in a different capacity. And I think that will be good for him too. Right. But when you, if you identify through your sport, that's the last time you see with boxers. They keep going back. Like nothing's right. ever going to uh, mirror that. And I know some boxers, I, I remember talking to Ray Mancini when he retired, he came back and he said he had to go see a therapist. And the therapist told him, just get used to the fact that nothing in your life will ever be as good as being lightweight champion of the world. Right. And judge everything backwards. And I thought, what a negative thing. He goes, no, it was freeing. Right. Because now I don't go around every day trying to mirror that feeling because so few people end up doing what you did over and over again and what, for example, he did and what Brady will do. Well, you know, it's it's funny because you hear a lot of athletes talk about, like, getting that pinnacle, like going to the Olympic Games or winning a gold medal or winning a Super Bowl, you know, national champion or whatever. But, but you know, you, you get to that level and you have so much endorphins and so much going on that you actually hit a low. And there are a lot of athletes that go through depression after Especially that. after the Olympics, right? Yeah, exactly, because it's like, what's what next now, you know? Like, I mean, nothing will ever top this. And so you have to try to keep busy. And I think the hardest thing for probably for Brady was not going out on top. You know, even though we all think he was on top, right. but for him and his mind. Eight and nine last year, yeah, losing exactly, last game. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So I think that's probably pretty tough for him too. And, and, and you saw the emotions when he put that, um, you know, video out uh, about retiring. It was just very raw, and you can see how emotional he was. And you don't see him right. get that emotional on that side with, like, tears and stuff. So – do you ever get back in the pool? Do you ever swim hard like you used to? You know, I don't. And people ask me, like, well, what do you do to cope? Like, you're so competitive. I'm like, don't get near me on a road. But, right. you know, I, you just channel it in different ways. I mean, it's never going to be the same, but you just try to channel it in different ways. But the fitness seems to be your passion now. Are you saying I'm, I look good? I'm saying, yeah, you look <laughs> unbelievably good. I mean, check out. Uh, on, there you, you are. can't see. Uh, there, there. Look at those uh, arms. I got some guns, huh? All right. <laughs> 
Eric, is those bigger than yours or not? <laughs> Pretty much, absolutely. So, Dara Torres, go, where do we get the uh, Can I Wellness? Uh, the Can I Wellness, you can get either on Amazon or you can go to their um, CanIWellness.com? Yes, CanIWellness.com. All right, and would I get a discount or do I have to pay full freight? Oh, I'm going to get you some. You can right. have these that but I brought, I'll actually. pay for them. <laughs> Thanks, Dara. Awesome. From the Fox News Radio Studios in Midtown Manhattan, it's the fastest-growing radio talk show, Brian Kilmeade. Welcome to the latest moments of the Brian Kilmeade Show. I'm coming to you from 48th and 6th in Midtown Manhattan, heard around the country, heard around the world. Uh, you know, we got a lot going on today. And, of course, you had this weekend in the Northeast. You know, it was brutal uh, on Saturday. And on Sunday, it was totally great. And today and the next two days, is totally great. I like this. But, of course, all the green activists are saying, shut off your gas oven. And this is the reason uh, there's climate change and we need a new green agenda. We'll talk a lot about that and so much more. This hour, we're going to be joined by Brett Baer. You know Brett and Jonathan Ward, a great friend of the show, author of China's Vision of Victory. Let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. These numbers really stand out to me, right? Six in ten Americans say they would be disappointed or even angry if he wins again. That is more than the just 56 percent that have a negative response to Trump winning. So the president has to make a compelling argument. You think? He's got to start sometime. That is Mary Bruce of ABC 2024. The obstacles remain for Joe Biden. Headwinds are out there. Guess where they're coming from? The left. GOPers are more comfortable than ever criticizing Donald Trump, but he is still winning in the latest poll. Number two. Do you want him to run again? I mean, you saw our poll. Give a large number of Democrats say they don't want him to run again. He is an absolutely historically successful president, and I want to see that continue. Yes, uh, let's see that continue. An historic president, State of the Union, a day before the address, what the numbers say. What do you think, uh, what do they think the, uh, in reality, they're diametrically opposed to what you might think and what the president thinks of his numbers and his performance. We're going to look at what they mean for him. Number one. Letting a Chinese surveillance balloon lazily drift over America is like seeing a robber on your front porch and inviting him in, showing him where you keep your safe, where you keep your guns, where your children sleep at night, and then politely asking him to leave. Blowback on blowing up the China balloon. What were they up to? And why did the Pentagon wait until Saturday to blow it up? And why does this administration invoke Trump every time they get in trouble? Let's bring in Jonathan Ward, author of China's Vision of Victory. Jonathan, was this intentional? Did this go like China planned? Hi, Brian. Well, it's it's still early to tell, and I think there are a few theories about it. I mean, as the Wall Street Journal said, it's worse if the PLA floated this thing in order to scuttle the visit by Secretary Blinken. Um, but then, you know, if, if the Politburo itself had approved it, I mean, that, that shows that they're testing our, our weaknesses. So, I mean, that's, I think, one 
seriously viable take here. I mean, we don't really know exactly why they would do this. I mean, it obviously disrupted the Blinken visit, which was meant to, on some level, reset relations. I mean, I don't think we're going to have a reset in relations with communist China. I mean, at this point, we have to turn the page on that and move towards a containment strategy. Uh, but bottom line, I mean, they felt that they could get away with this, however um, however it happened, and to do something that you know floats above the country to the point that all kinds of people can see it. I mean, it really puts the China problem and challenge right into our, our faces here. And for, for those of us that have been looking at it from, from many other dimensions, whether it's the CCP preparing for conflict with the U.S., whether it's the level of intellectual property theft, um, you know, the building of essentially an economic empire that spans the globe at this point, um, you know, we have a major problem to deal with. And, and this seems to be just a brazen um, approach to, you know, how they're going to deal with us. I mean, a very big lack of respect. I mean, there's so many questions. For example, they were in control of that balloon up until it was blown up. So they chose to zigzag through military sites, even though we were putting it on 24-7 on Fox anyway, and then blew it up right when it got over the water. So they had a chance to maybe bring it out to sea and bring it home, and we'll see what happens. But instead, they seem to have finished the mission. Here's what Marco Rubio said, waiting to get to get debriefed as a member of the Gang of Eight. Cut one. It's not a coincidence that this happens leading up to the State of the Union address, leading up to Blinken's visit to China. The Chinese knew that this was going to be spotted. They knew that we were going to have to react to it. They flew it over military installations and sensitive sites across, right across the middle. I mean, look at the flight path of this thing. It's a diagonal shot right through the middle of the continental United States. And the message embedded in this to the world is we can fly a balloon over airspace of the United States of America, and they won't be able to do anything about it to stop us. They calculated this carefully with a message embedded in it, and I think that's the part we can't forget here. It's not just the balloon. It's the message they're trying to send the world that Amer- we can do whatever we want, and America can't stop us. Spent a, uh, spent a few minutes over the uh, Aleutian Islands off Alaska after taking off on January 21st. So seven days later, it's, it's on American territory. Then it goes down the coast of Canada, Then Biden finds out it's in Montana. A local journalist picks it up, a photojournalist. They contact NORAD. Billings, Montana starts running with it. People start spotting it. And then it becomes a national story. And then President Biden says, let's just blow it up. His military says, let's just wait. How does China interpret the delay? Now, we don't know for sure yet, but from all the research you've done on that administration, what do you think? Well, look, I, I think that what the, what the military is saying is that the, the ability to shut this thing off and, um, you know, sort of uh, decrease or eliminate its surveillance capability is, is, is one thing. But then to, to take it out and, you know, wait for it to go across the country, um, you know, I mean, let's not forget, I mean, this is also a provocation. And I think that it, it's them looking at how we respond to things. I mean, how do we respond to this kind of, um, you know, provocation that, that really does go right across our our country, and, and they also have a narrative that the U.S. is in permanent decline, and that's what they're going to tell their own people. And, and furthermore, shooting it down um, provides a justification, I think, and this is the dangerous part. Um, if they were to, cho- to choose to shoot down one of our, um, you know, some of our surveillance capabilities, let's say over the South East China Sea or something of that nature, in the Taiwan Straits. I think they're going to be able to spin this back to their people about um, their response to to an overreaction from the United States. So we have to remember this is just as much about what they're going to tell their own population, which, um, you know, is fed a sort of constant stream of anti-American 
uh, nationalist rhetoric by the party. Um, so, so I get it. So, so Jonathan, uh, Jonathan, you're saying that they're going to say if they take a shot at one of our spy planes, if they take a shot even sure. in international waters like they did with the uh, when they forced that plane down under the Bush administration, even they'll just say, look, we're just getting them back because they, they were uh, way too aggressive against us. And here's this China's statement. The U.S. used force to attack our civilian unmanned ship, which is the obvious overreaction. We expressed solemn protests against this move by the U.S. side. The Chinese side has repeatedly informed the U.S. side of the verification that the airship is for civilian use and entered the U.S. due to force majeure. It was completely an accident, so leaving itself the opportunity to answer back. So you think they're setting us up to do something uh, even more aggressive in their area? I, I think that's that's definitely a possibility, Brian, because let's not forget they have active uh, territorial disputes throughout Asia. They're preparing a military that's designed for conflict with with us in those um, you know disputed areas. And um, you know being able to tell their own country that that we're aggressors, I mean that's the entire narrative. And um, you know so there's no way we can win that battle for uh, hearts and minds, I think from from that standpoint. I mean, this is something they're trying to tell their country, that, that America is an aggressor and that, you know, and at the same time that we're in decline and that they can win and that the future belongs to them. I mean, that's the narrative of the Communist Party of China. So something like this fits into mm-hmm. that picture, I think, in a way that's very concerning. Well, I mean, I want you to hear what the Secretary of Defense, former Secretary of Defense, Leon Panetta said. He was with President Obama, Chief of Staff for President Clinton. Cut nine. And I'm not sure that we should have allowed it uh, to simply cross over the country, uh, cross over uh, what were obviously sensitive military sites. I, I don't I don't see the logic of that. So the, so the question obviously is uh, the Pentagon said that there were risks here. I understand that argument uh, that uh, there were debris risks. Uh, at the same time, uh, I think we should have acted earlier uh, if our suspicions were valid that this was in fact on an intelligence mission. Right. I mean, that's the whole thing. We don't know everything. They say we're able to pick up some intelligence by watching them maneuver. They have big antennas outside of this. Clearly, it was being operated by somebody somewhere, probably China and mainland China. But we were gaining from that. But the communication for here wasn't wasn't there yet. Looking at China right now, are they really that strong? We know how the, how they're responding from COVID. We know they're getting hit harder now than ever. We know the the twenty somethings or the unemployment is through the roof. And we know the whole concept of a market economy on any level is almost a thing of the past. Does that show strength to you? Well, look, I think they're, they're, they're potentially headed into a period of weakness, but they've already established themselves as a major economic power. We've never seen a rival like this, not in 100 years. Um, so, so they have all that. I mean, they dominate global trade. Uh, their corporations are active all around the planet. They've stolen uh, trillions worth of U.S. intellectual property and basically uh, established markets around the world uh, with that. And, um, you know, they've built up a very formidable military. So, so none of that changes the fact that they're a major rival and they're still projected to grow at four to five percent for the rest of this decade. So, um, you know, and, and versus our economic uh, growth, which is, I mean, we, you know, people are still debating whether or not we'll have a recession this year. So I think um, none of that is, is going to be an easy game for us. And that's why we have to focus on winning the economic long game. I mean, it is possible. There's, a, I think, a, a very genuine chance of military conflict with China in the 2020s, and that could come sooner rather than later. Um, so we have to do the best we can to deter that, but also uh, begin to win the economic long game. And that means um, taking apart their position as a global economic power.
anymore. Um, so we're going to have to play a, a game for um, economic dominance that, that spans the entire planet. But Jonathan, a lot of people listening right now go, really? We, we couldn't do that to Russia. We still, there's always going to be people breaking. Now, if we pull Nike and the Apples and these major corporations stop investing and we move all that manufacturing out, which, by the way, I understand is happening, and the CHIPS Act and things to that nature, that'll make an impact. But you have a, you have a small economy in comparison like Russia, and we're still watching their GDP. They're, they're almost unaffected by sanctions. Well, I think we were able to, to destabilize their economy for sure. The Fortune 500 left that country and you know, basically the Chinese have stepped in and stabilized it. That's the problem is, is you really have Chinese companies staying in Russia and they've increased their uh, volume of trade with Russia. So, again, I mean, um, the Chinese Communist Party is behind Putin's war in Ukraine and we're not calling them on that. I mean, the minute we decide to start even just going after the Chinese corporations that are propping up the Russian regime, I mean, that's a bit of a game changer. So we haven't started this game and we need to, you know, this is all about what does America do? Um, it's no longer in my mind about what does China do? I mean, that's predictable. You know, we understand their strategy, their objectives, um, their capabilities. It's do we have the will to act? Um, and, and that's where we need to go. And, you know, my new book, which comes out in, in April, is, is about this, the decisive decade, I mean, what America really needs to do to win this contest, because there's so much, Brian, that we can that we can get done. Well, I mean, number one, number one, we we got to stop them from buying up our boarding schools, buying up our key real estate in areas, especially around military sites. Huawei cannot seem to exist. And the best we can, we got to incentivize management or demand management pull manufacturing out of the country, especially vital things like pharmaceuticals, don't you think? And, and, And chips. And this, it has to come from shareholders. It has to come from Wall Street. At the end of the day, the corporate boards and C-suites, I mean, they're incentivized to grow in China, to continue allocating capital to China. Um, the U.S. government is not moving sufficiently to, uh, to stop that. And at the end of the day, I mean, these companies are exposed. I mean, the exposure of our corporate sector to, um, to, the, to China is just it's, – it's too much, and it's, it's an enormous um, – problem. And I think, um, you know, our business leaders aren't solving it yet. So that's going to take a um, whole of nation approach. I mean, not just from the federal government, but from the state governments and from the general public and also from Wall Street and shareholders. And a lot of this is, is pension money that's, that's going into companies that are becoming China stocks. I mean, if you're Nike, if you're Apple, if you're Starbucks, and you're a China stock. Um, and, and that's just, you know, that's not good for them. And it's not good for America. We've got to you know, really have everybody reverse course so that we start rebuilding this country. We re- rebuild our industrial base, our manufacturing. I mean, we have a tremendous advantage in capital and productivity that needs to be deployed towards strategic purposes. And that's the only path we've got, Brian, towards return to peace through strength. And even there, the window is closing. Um, but you have to get into a virtuous um, economic cycle where we are rebuilding our country in order to rebuild our but, military. But it seems, and Jonathan, I hope people listen to you, but, you know, we are focused now on the green economy. We want to incentivize. Doesn't matter what China does, as long as they buy solar panels. Meanwhile, they're 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 closing up the market when it comes to rare earth and solar panels. Well, they don't. They dominate those industries. I mean, those are the industries that they selected and targeted with their long-term industrial policies, and that's made good. I mean, we can say whatever we want about you know capitalism and communism, but the bottom line, they do long-term strategy, and we don't. And we will not lose a game where it's their long-term thinking against our short-term thinking, whatever our great advantages might be. So we're going to have to get into that game of basically winning long-term economic games in the key strategic industries all around the world. And and we can beat them at that. At the end of the day, you do want capitalism and free enterprise uh, to beat the People's Republic of China. But we've got to stop selling the rope. 
Uh, yeah, and I just do think that Republicans and Democrats see this, the ones that aren't compromised. All right, look forward to your book. It's called The Decisive Decade, American Grand Strategy for Triumph Over China. Uh, Jonathan Ward, thank you. Thank you, Brian. All right, listen, we gave you a lot, one 408 7669 And the other big story is uh, immigration. Over the weekend, we saw the mayor of New York City go into this Brooklyn terminal and sleep on a cot with other illegal immigrants, play ping pong, play video games, watch flat screens, have breakfast. Guess what? He's okay. These illegal immigrants who are protesting, refusing to go in, whose activists are aggravating this situation, uh, and not only do they come off as ingrates and lose any type of support, they are actually making things up about uh, dire conditions. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. So glad you're here. Expanding your knowledge base. It's The Brian Kilmeade Show. A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. You can come and try to take it, Joe, but we ain't going anywhere. We, New Hampshire will be But if first. the Democrats don't show up, they don't So have- here's the amazing dynamic. First, South Carolina is a terrible place to put the primary because they get about 15% voter turnout. Like, New Hampshire sets records on it. In 2020, think about this. President Trump didn't even have a primary. The elitist powers that be basically said, well, Trump's our nominee, right? No one's challenging him. No primary in South Carolina. And they're going to do that again for the Democrats. So what Biden has effectively done is said, we're going to move the first of the nation primary from New Hampshire to South Carolina. And by the way, they're probably not even going to hold a primary for me. So what happens? It means anyone who wants to challenge Biden, and there will be more than a few, they're coming to New Hampshire. And we're going to have our voting first, whether they seat the delegates or not. We don't care. The press will be there. The excitement will be there. The energy will be there. The Republicans will be there. And the Democrats who want to challenge Biden will be there and be given an open lane to do so. It's going to be a wild dynamic. So look, the Democrats have screwed up their last two caucus cycles, and it's been a joke. They couldn't even pick out a winner. I don't even know who eventually won. They screwed it up with John Edwards one year or two. So I understand them being a little down on Iowa. Not that I don't have anything negative to say about Iowa, but their caucus, the Democratic caucus or the Democratic Party in Iowa is absolutely seems to be totally disorganized. In New Hampshire, it comes off fine. The problem with New Hampshire is nobody likes Joe Biden there. Elizabeth Warren did terrible there. So the only other person I could see getting into it maybe would be Elizabeth Warren as she runs for Senate. Maybe if she has some momentum, feels as though she could change things and be more effective. So who does good there? Pete Buttigieg does good there. So the president says, I just want to go to South Carolina, a state he will not win, but he just wants to get that early victory and then push everybody out and thinks it's a better a better composite of what the Democratic Party looks like. For the Republicans, they're totally happy in New Hampshire. They're going to go through the process in Iowa. They're going to keep things as they are. But we are talking about uh, a Democrat party that has an incumbent that says that he is responsible for the economy doing well in this genius foreign policy. The average person does not feel that way. And that's why they are, at one point, could be really in trouble because... If we start going into a slowdown at the very least, dare I say, recession, and Joe Biden. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. But I know what we're going to hear. We're going to hear him take credit for, you know, adding more jobs than ever before. After a pandemic, that wasn't that wasn't very hard. He's going to kind of talk about, oh, we have unemployment finally coming down and inflation coming down. Well, inflation was at record high. Of course, it's coming down. It couldn't have gone any higher. So look, the president's going to do what he does, try to take credit for all of this stuff. Yeah, that was uh, Governor Chris Sununu, who was really on his game yesterday, too, in hostile territory for him. 
but he was uh, saying things. He kind of lets it fly, which it's a, kind of a relief in today's political climate. Brett Baer, chief political anchor of Fox News and anchor of Special Report uh, with Brett Baer, weeknights at 6, uh, and fresh off a great golf tournament. Brett, how did you do at Pebble Beach? Hey, Brian. Uh, it was windy and wet and cold, but um, I made the cut, uh, which was good. We came in, I think, 15th, but um, top 20. Five, get the uh, I made the cut umbrella. Um, problem was because the weather, we didn't get to play the final day with uh, with the pros at Pebble Beach, which they're finishing this morning actually. But it was a lot of fun. Uh, it's a you know one of those dream things to be able to play, but it was heinous weather wise. Horrible, right? Oh, it's I'll tell you, it was zero uh, in New York, so I don't think it had zero. But <laughs> you don't feel for me, yeah. right? But I will say, Brett, are you concerned you're going to get so good you don't need TV anymore? <laughs> I promise you, after some of the shots I hit, there's no doubt that I'll be back in the uh, really. Because what? Studio, yeah. But if you start winning this thing, you could you would would you downgrade and just be a contributor and focus just on your game? <laughs> have you thought about this? No, I have not. This is a uh, am status <laughs> thing. Every once in a while. All right, so what do you think Every about on the other job? What do you think about what, uh, what Sununu said? Well, I think he's, you know, staking out a position. I actually think uh, Governor Sununu is going to run for president, um, and he's positioning himself for that. Uh, he makes a fair point about, you know, bouncing back from COVID and, uh, you know, the, the numbers. Yeah. Uh, I do think that the administration has – you know, a little bit of wind at its back that it's not, does not look like this is an economy that's, you know, taking a dive into a recession. People are still feeling it at home and it's still, inflation is still a major problem. But as far as, you know, the dire predictions, I think the administration has something to stand on there. But you know what's amazing, Brett, these polls are hideous. The Fox News poll, the ABC poll, Washington Post poll, the CBS poll, he has a 41%, 42% approval rating with the ABC poll, 67% an NBC poll, uncomfortable with him running again, 32% an NBC poll, enthusiastic about him running. Uh, he says a 45% approval there, but even though the economic numbers were as strong as they were, uh, jobs anyway, the economy, he only gets a 36% approval on the economy, 41% on foreign policy. So he might feel good about it, but it's obvious across three polls the American people don't feel good about it. Do you think this yeah, resonates you know, with them? Here's the thing. Yep. The thing is, is that, I, you know, we saw these polls heading into the midterms. And, you know, before a number of different reasons, the midterms turned out the way they did. But I think Biden and his administration is looking as the, at those midterms as the true bellwether. They're not looking at these polls uh but they probably should, because I think it has more to do about his communication style, his ability to connect, his, um, you know, saying, you know, touching the right issues as far as what he focuses on. And then I don't think the classified documents, you know, three week story um, helped his cause either. You know, it's amazing. They got to give a briefing uh, on the classified documents now, but they've committed to do it on Biden, Pence and Trump. All of a sudden, oh, after the Chinese balloon story, suddenly they're open to giving a uh, giving a rundown of uh, of uh, giving a rundown of what really happened with these documents and how these FBI investigations went by the board, like November fifteenth yeah. one. 
Right, exactly. Yeah, I mean, they were holding off on that. And um, and either the relative, relevant committees, the intel committees, wanted that for a long time, all the way back to the beginning. And so, yeah, listen, I think the Chinese balloon story is not a good one for Biden. They're trying to portray it as, you know, some kind of leadership thing that he had said, shoot it down on Wednesday. But then the thing floated across the continental United States um, until Friday. So, uh, the whole thing is not – there's a lot of questions to be answered about about that. I would think so. Uh, and a, a couple of things. It's obviously Republicans are like, why didn't we shoot it down earlier? That's maybe not news. Uh, but when Leon Panetta comes out and says we should have shot it down earlier, that's significant. Here's Admiral Mullen uh, was, on with, uh, was on with this week with uh, George Stephanopoulos with Jonathan Carl, though. Listen to this. Cut 10. I think strategically – this really damages uh, a, a relationship between us and China, further damages, which was deteriorating. And I think that's really the big part of this. I would, uh, and, and I think the senator, you know, he keeps talking about they, which I understand. But one of the questions is whether the right hand knew what the left hand was doing inside China. And quite frankly, not dissimilar to when Bob Gates was in China about a decade ago, uh, visiting, I mean, literally sitting with the president where the PLA uh, let, uh, tested a stealth uh, aircraft. Uh, and, and, and by all reports, Hu Jintao didn't know anything about it. So I think that's a big question. Uh, so, so the suggestion this could have been done by elements within the Chinese military to intentionally disrupt this visit by the Secretary of State. Clearly. Uh, I think that's the case. That's a, that's a niche theory on that. Is that one you've heard? Yeah, I have heard that, but I mean... Okay, you know, one side inside China and wants to make the other side look bad. I guess you could play that. The bottom line is that you have these spy balloons flying across the United States. And, you know, China is out with a statement, a press statement, and a person answering questions in Beijing saying it was a weather balloon. Well, no, it's it's not. And there's another one in Latin America. And, you know, there was one uh, off the coast of Hawaii um, you know, this is not something that is their Chinese weather channel uh, that they need. This is, this is effort to get. Um, this is an effort to get intel, and um, it's it's you know disconcerting. I don't think a lot of Americans thought that that's something that they would see some foreign government flying something, floating something over their airspace. A couple of things to this. Number one, I think there's a there's a lot of. Uh, I think there's a lot of facts behind the fact that we probably never would have learned about it. Secretary of State Blinken still goes over there. If the people don't, of Montana don't spot it, if a photojournalist right. doesn't take pictures, Cole Norad himself, they said they're scrambling for information. Next thing you know, Fox is covering it as it transfixes yeah. the country for five, six days. Camera. Yeah. Our, uh, so we did. It was unbelievable. And then we watch it blow up, and we were the only ones to witness it. But if that didn't happen, it's not as if the administration – would have handled things the same had the public not known about it. We still haven't gotten a, 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 an explanation from the president except for he wanted to shoot it down Wednesday. Then we hear this other report, which I think is worth pursuing, that the three times this happened during the Trump years. So everyone contacted Trump. People say, really? I had Mike Pompeo on Saturday. He's like, I don't know anything about it. I'm going to talk to people. He said it off camera. He's like, I never hear anything about it. He was CIA director. So, so Robert O'Brien, Mike Pompeo, John Bolton, President Trump, among the people who said, we knew nothing about this. Mike Waltz just said on our channel, 
He said that uh, more than likely there's some speculation that the Pentagon deliberately did not tell Trump uh, another spy balloon is because they thought Trump would be too provocative and aggressive. Um, General Mattis was the defense secretary at the time. I mean, they, these are all possibilities, but how do you have an undetected balloon that you're now admitting was detected? I can't get my head around this. No, and the best was that, you know, the left grabbed onto this New York Times story saying, see, Trump had them too. Uh, and you had Defense Secretary Mark Esper saying, I have no knowledge of this. Now, Esper is not a Trump loyalist. Uh, you know, he's, he's been very critical of the former president, um, as have others, like John Bolton. He said that in his term as national security advisor and anything that he heard before it, he had never heard of this happening. Uh, and, you know, you had people coming out of the woodwork. So, yeah, I think that that's a storyline to pursue. Um, one way is bad, which is the Pentagon not telling the president because they're worried that he's going to do something provocative. And the other way is bad, too. We <laughs> just didn't say anything because these Chinese balloons are flying across the U.S. Rick Grinnell said, I did one of the biggest intel deep dives in China. They're spying in the origins of COVID. It never came up. If a balloon had come up, we were we would have known. Someone in the intelligence community would have known, and it would have bubbled up to me to brief the president. But I do am heartened as an American that both sides see the peril with China. And we're, we're seeing stories about them buying up boarding schools and private schools. We're seeing stories about them buying up land outside military facilities. We see them buying up farmland. And at one point, you would think we're going to have a comprehensive strategy to pull out of China, especially vital industries like pharmaceuticals, and push them out of our country because we have to identify them as an enemy because clearly they do us. Yeah. I think that that's we're getting there. I think that that companies that are doing business in China are self-selecting and slowly doing it on their own because they realize that some of their assets could be somehow nationalized um, in in a back and forth of supply chain, um, you know, warfare, if you will. Um, but I do think that the administration's lines have been. Uh, not as firm. And that's one of the reasons why this uh, committee up on Capitol Hill uh, with uh, Congressman Gallagher as the chair uh, is going to probably look at a number of things that that the U.S. should and could be doing uh, to counter what is a Chinese threat. Have you thought about your show tonight? I have thought about it. I am back in the mix. Uh, we've got Brett Hume. We've got um, the two governors, Democrat and uh, Republican, uh, head of the governors' associations, um, which would be interesting take on kind of what states are looking at. And obviously, we have a preview of the State of the Union tomorrow. So, we, how do we get your podcast, Brett? And the podcast, you can get it on um, foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. It's under the Brett Bear podcast, and you have both the All Star panel and Common Ground. Uh, to choose from. So we do uh, two every week and it's been, it's been good, good numbers. And it's been a lot of fun trying to get, you know, more that we do these things, Brian, the more left and right, different perspectives come together to try to talk about what they're agreeing on first and then talk about what they disagree on. That would be great. Uh, Brett Bear, fresh off a great display, making the cut at Pebble Beach, got a shirt. Uh, he dealt horrible conditions. Uh, but he's back, ready for action in a controlled climate environment inside yeah. the studio in Washington, D.C. Brett, thanks so much. 
We'll see you, Brad. You got it. Hey, when we come back, it's your turn again. One eight six eight. Wow, everyone. One eight six six four zero eight seven six six nine. We'll get to your calls and find out if there's indeed more to know. Giving you everything you need to know. You're with Brian Kilmeade. If you're interested in it, Brian's talking about it. You're with Brian Kilmeade. A new study finds that despite women making less money than men, more single women in the U.S. own homes than single men, thanks to a phenomenon economists call divorce. A school official in Illinois has been arrested on charges of stealing over $1 million worth of chicken wings. Said the official, I swear, I was going to give all the money back. All right, there you go. That was uh, some of SNL on over the weekend. So you thought that was funny? I was going to say you had, we all laughed out loud when we heard that one. Really? Yes. All right, let's find out if there's even more to know. More to know. Sponsored by Unplugged. Reclaim your privacy from big tech snooping with Unplugged. Visit Unplugged.com. All right, here we go. Uh, Elon Musk starts the news. He tweets this out. Last three months were extremely tough. Had to save Twitter from bankruptcy while fulfilling essential Tesla and SpaceX duties. Wouldn't wish this pain on anyone. Twitter still has challenges, but is now trending to break even if we keep it, keep at it. Public support is much appreciated. Uh, Then he went on to say he was tired, but his back hurts. His mom wants him to get some sleep. Uh, He went on to say, I had trouble sleeping last night, so unfortunately I'm not at my best. Later, Musk says, I'm sorry for squirming around. I have some severe back pain. Yesterday, he says, I'm worried about me, too. So is is he? Are you worried about him? Um, I mean, I feel like he might be the one man in America who works more than you, right? right? No, and but he has much more co- consequence. I mean, literally billion dollar companies all waiting for his lead. But didn't Twitter cut their prices and all of a sudden get a big surge in earnings? I, I haven't been following their financials that closely, but I'll take your word for it. And also, according to his tweet, they're on track to break even, which is good. Right. I don't know. I think it was Dave Rubin who went in there to meet with him, and he said, if you want me to meet, if not, let's meet tomorrow, about how Dave Rubin was being shadow banned. And he was so tired. And he said he was so tired from the meeting. And then we know that he also flew out to Washington. He's friends with Kevin McCarthy. They were both in California living kind of close to each other. And then he met with the Democrats, too, to let him know, you can call me in, but this is what my approach is. I think it's very smart to do that. No, I agree. Talk and to he, everyone. he can fly private, right? He might be able to afford it. I'm not sure. Only if Twitter breaks even can he afford it. Right. Next. Beyonce broke the record for most awarded Grammy artist of all time last night with 32. Let's listen. The queen is officially in the building. Ladies and gentlemen, Beyonce Knowles. Thank you so much. I was shocked to find out that traffic could stop you. I thought you traveled through space and time, but I'm glad you could be with us right now. But she did. She was late for her award because of traffic. I mean, even Beyonce hits traffic in L.A. That I mean, don't something. you think somebody could make a call to say she's stuck in traffic, the Grammys are on? I mean, maybe, or don't you think she could have just maybe left a little earlier? That's true, too. She's tied with rapper-producer husband Jay-Z for most Grammy nominations ever. 88, the feat comes ahead of the anticipated Renaissance tour. Are we all anticipating that tour? Um... I mean, I'm not planning on going to Ticketmaster right. for it, but it, it would, if I had free tickets, I would definitely go. It'd be Eric a would show. need somebody to go with. Next, surfer Bethany Hamilton speaks out against the new rule allowing transgender women to compete with females. She's against it. This concerns me as a professional athlete that has been competing in the World Surf League 
events for the past 15 plus years. And I feel that I must speak up and stand up for those in position that may feel that they cannot say something about this. I personally won't be competing in or supporting the World Surf League if this rule remains. So right now, get this. This is the term. They made the rule that male-bodied individual known as transgender athletes can officially compete in the women's division of the World Surf League. She's famous for having one out, like one hand bitten off, one arm bitten off by a shark. shark. So this is unbelievable that it's in this sport. So it's unbelievable that Dara Torres was telling us earlier in the earlier part of the show, she can't believe women, men are competing against women, these transgender women. The... Their bodies are completely different. They're developed in dealing with those huge What waves? happened to the Me Too movement? Where are the I women standing up for women? They're too, they're too scared to stand up to trans women. I agree, sadly. I mean, most people would agree this is absolutely insane. Fans confused. We swipe again. Fans so confused by Madonna's new face at the Grammy. Several fans took to social media, share the confusion over her face. The Vogue songstress, 64, 64 years old, took the stage to introduce Kim Petraeus and Sam Smith for their unholy appearance when fans commented on her look, especially her face. Quote, me attempting to ignore the fact that Madonna has a whole new face. One fan tweeted, what happened to Madonna's face? Another fan tweeted, Madonna looks good for her age. If her age is 2,700 and is a vampire, eats babies and small animals alive. She was so puffed up. Really? I didn't see it. She used to have a really pretty like angular face, and she just looked like a balloon. Her lips were huge. Right. I mean, what's wrong being 64? 64 is the new 24. 64, you're still here. You're not dead. You should be happy. You're not dead. That's good. I was trying to say that it's still young, and you say not dead. The Fox News Rundown, a contrast of perspectives you won't hear anywhere else. Your daily dose of news twice a day. Featuring insight from top newsmakers, reporters, and Fox News contributors. Listen and subscribe now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.